Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for Therapeutics Thursday's podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members sit down and discuss what's new and going on in the world of therapeutics. My name is Emily, and I'm a PGY2 in solid organ transplantation and current co-chair of the American Society of Transplantation Organ Donation Workgroup, and I'll be your host today. With me today are Barrett Crowther, solid organ transplant clinical specialist, and PGY2 Transplant Pharmacy Residency Program Director at the University of Colorado Hospital, and Kayla Joyal, a solid organ transplant clinical specialist at Leahy Hospital and Medical Center in Burlington, Massachusetts, and the co-chair of the AST Transplant Farm COP Organ Donation Workgroup. Thank you for joining us today, Barrett and Kayla. Let's get started talking about today's topic, organ donation awareness, and something that should be on everyone's mind for April National Donate Life Month. To give a bit more background on National Donate Life Month, Kayla, could you start out by talking a little bit more about the history behind Donate Life Month and National Blue and Green Day in April? Absolutely. National Donate Life Month was originally established back in 2003 with the goal to encourage Americans to register as organ, eye, and tissue donors, as well as to honor those that have saved lives through the gift of donation. This year's Donate Life Month theme is the Garden of Life, which was inspired by a springtime scene as a symbol of hope, courage, and transformed life. Traditionally, we celebrate National Donate Life Blue and Green Day on April 16th, but in light of COVID-19, there was an entire Blue and Green Spirit Week from April 10th to 16th to allow people to exercise a lot of organ donation awareness activities through social media to recognize donors, give hope to patients that are waiting for transplant, and just raise awareness for the overall need for organ donors. Thanks, Kayla. It sounds like there have been a lot of evolutions in April's Donate Life Month to where we are today. Could you talk a little bit more about the current state of organ donation in the United States and why we have an entire month dedicated to raising awareness? Thanks, Emily. Uh, This past year actually was the 10th consecutive record-breaking year for organ transplantation, uh, despite a national pandemic. Even though there's more than 12,000 deceased donors in 2020, there's still a great uh, need for additional organ donors to, to meet that need. Another person is added to the nation's organ transplant waiting list every 10 minutes. Additionally, 8,000 people die each year, which is almost one person each hour, because the organs they need were not donated in time, unfortunately. While they estimate about 90% of Americans support organ donation, only about 50% are registered organ donors at the current time. Besides encouraging people to register as organ donors through Donate Life America, What are some other current strategies to expand the donor pool? One of the best ways we can expand the donor pool and reduce transplant wait time is by encouraging living donation. In 2020 alone, more than 5,700 transplants were made possible by living donors. The majority of patients on the transplant wait list are in need of a kidney, and the kidney is the most commonly transplanted organ from a living donor. Living liver donation is a growing field and occurs using a segment of the donor's liver into the recipient. Living donation has a couple of modalities by which it can occur. Most commonly, we see directed donation where a recipient identifies a friend or family member or coworker, and they receive the organ from that direct connection. 
Non-directed donation is when the donor does not choose a specific recipient and a match is arranged based on medical compatibility with the need. And sometimes this is called altruistic donation. And lastly, we have paired donation where a candidate has someone who wants to donate a kidney to them, but the tests reveal that a kidney would not be a good medical match. So in paired donation or swap, the transplant candidate has another option where living donors are swapped so that each recipient receives a compatible transplant and they sort of exchange donors. To further elaborate with the deceased donor pool, uh, there have been several strategies implemented over the past, uh, well, decade uh, to, to improve this pool. A couple of examples are use of he uh, hepatitis C positive organs, which I'll elaborate on, HIV positive organs, uh, it, along with different perfusion techniques and increased use of donation after cardiac death. Uh, to touch on uh, HIV and hepatitis C, the HOPE Act was approved around 2013. Prior to this time, HIV-positive donors were banned in the United States. With the addition of the HOPE Act, or the HIV Organ Policy Equity Act, it now permits the, the use of HIV-positive donors to be used for transplantation in HIV-positive patients under a research protocol. So only certain transplant centers within the United States can uh, actually use this protocol. While HIV-positive individuals have excellent outcomes with transplant, disparities definitely exist in this population. For example, HIV-positive individuals needing a kidney transplant face an increased mortality on the wait list and much lower access to transplant compared to HIV-uninfected candidates. Additionally, allowing the use of these organs for HIV-infected patients would potentially increase the donor pool by 300 to 500 donors annually. And especially a uh, hot topic within transplant currently is the use of hepatitis C-positive organs. This has been allowed now with advancement um, in highly effective pangenotypic DAAs, or direct-acting antivirals used to cure hepatitis C. And this has been well-documented in the literature. Hepatitis C virus-infected organs can also be transplanted into individuals without hep C with the use of these agents at either the time of transplant or shortly thereafter. Uh, the availability of hepatitis C positive organs may expand the donor pool and decrease wait list times and mortality. Thanks, Barrett and Kayla. So pharmacists and pharmacy students have a pretty unique opportunity and pivotal role in supporting different public health initiatives, just like this one. How did you all become involved in supporting the growth of organ donation awareness? Thanks, Emily. I've been involved in Donate Life Month and the Organ Donation Challenge for actually over a decade now. I became involved as a, a PGY2 transplant resident back in 2010 with the American Society of Transplant. I served as the first trainee member of the executive committee of the AST Transplant Pharmacy Community of Practice, and at that time helped establish the Organ Donation Challenge. After that time, I then served as a member at large on the Community of Practice, and am currently the, the co-chair for the, the executive committee of that group. 
During the time when I was a trainee or resident, the organ donation work group really focused on this organ donation challenge, working on a project manual that had transplant pharmacists assigned to various schools of pharmacy that schools of pharmacy who were interested in participating in the organ donation challenge could reach out to as a liaison. Additionally, we were able to establish official partnerships with the Student National Pharmaceutical Association and the Walgreens Company, which definitely helped move the the challenge forward. Kayla, I know that you've been involved in organ donation awareness since very early on in your career. How did you find out about this initiative as a student, and how has your involvement evolved since then? I was definitely the beneficiary of all of Barrett's hard work. One of my preceptors first informed me of the organ donation challenge when I was a P2 student at Northeastern. And I was able to work with a pre-med student who had a direct connection to organ donation as his sister was actually an organ donor and his family was very active in Donate Life activities. And I worked with him and other pharmacy students to organize events on campus, including a news interview with the Boston News Network, an ice cream social on our main quad, and other talks with donor families and transplant recipients. That same year, ATC was held in Boston. So... We were lucky enough to win the Best New Project, and I was able to attend the conference and learn more about the organ donation work group. And then after ATC, I became more involved and worked my way up as secretary during my PGY one year of the organ donation work group, and then co-chair during my PGY two year, as well as, again, now as a new practitioner. And I really loved getting to know all the wonderful people from the organ procurement organization staff to donor families and recipients and other pharmacists across the country. So I'm really looking forward to staying involved for many years to come. That sounds awesome. So as transplant pharmacists now, what kind of role do you guys have in evaluation for donors and how do you interact with donors on a daily basis? Thanks, Emily. Uh, as far as the transplant pharmacist role with donors, is predominantly with the, the living donor population. Here at University of Colorado, our transplant pharmacists are involved in evaluation of the, the donor attending listing meeting for the, the donors or so we call it, it's a selection of appropriate donors. So we help evaluate their home medications, various comorbid disease states if they do have them, such as ensuring they have appropriate blood pressure control, if they have other ongoing issues, whether it be pain management, bowel care, issues with fluids and electrolytes, etc. Additionally, here in Colorado, we often see a, a large use of herbal supplements. So ensuring that those herbal supplements are going to be safe after donation, whether it's liver donation or kidney donation. I think my experience is very similar to Barrett. As a trainee, I had a lot of exposure to living kidney donors, but one of my favorite parts about my new job is that I get to work with the living liver donors. And I similarly meet with them in clinics as a part of their evaluation, raise any concerns I have about potential herbal supplements that may increase their bleeding risk or hormonal medications they may take that potentially will put them at a higher risk of clotting that need to be stopped before at our listing meeting. And then, of course, managing their care after transplant, like Barrett mentioned, with pain management, bowel care, um, GI prophylaxis, and electrolytes. I will say I have been shocked at how much phosphorus our living donors require. So that's been a fun learning point for me. And I really enjoy getting to work with these very, very generous individuals. With the deadline for the annual organ donation challenge coming up, next month on May 14th. Can you talk a little bit more about how our listeners could get more involved? Yeah, absolutely. I I think it typically originates with 
schools of pharmacy, student organizations to get in touch with the transplant pharmacist or collaborator who is a member of the American Society of Transplant Community of Practice. We have that aforementioned guide that's available on the American Society of Transplant website, and that, that'll help you get in touch with various transplant pharmacists throughout the United States to, to help give you ideas for the project and give guidance. I'd advise holding at least one event and submitting a summary of activities to either Kayla or Emily, who will then uh, submit the project for review. To give you uh, examples, uh, after being involved the past 10 years of various projects and those that have won, there's been just a, a wide variety. I mean, groups have reached out to Gigi's Cupcakes and created customized cupcakes to help celebrate Donate Life Month and pass them around either the schools of pharmacy or publicly. There's been ice cream socials, 5Ks, interviews on the news the local news to really help promote awareness uh, within the community about what it means to be an organ donor. There's been talks with family and recipients, and then really big, especially the past year or so with the, the pandemic, a uh, large involvement with social media and having various posts using creative techniques surrounding social media platforms. Thanks, Barrett. And Kayla, could you talk a little bit more about some of the awards that you can win with the Organ Donation Challenge? Absolutely. We are very fortunate to have the support of Aloxis so that we can provide awards ranging from $250 to $500, which are presented at the American Transplant Congress, which will be virtual this year. We have awards available for the best overall project, the best new project, most sustainable project, and the best resident project, which is a project that a resident basically is a liaison for uh, overseas with student involvement. We have more information on the organ donation program guide on our AST transplant COP hub, our main AST website, on our Instagram page at AST Organ Donation Challenge. And there's also some information on the AST Transplant Farm COP Instagram page. So definitely check out social media and those websites for more information on what's required for submission for those awards. And if there are any questions, you can feel free to reach out to myself or Emily. Thank you so much, Barrett and Kayla, for sharing your passion for organ donation awareness. And thanks for being here. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's clinical resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as resource centers, including those on critical care, nutrition support, opioid management, infectious diseases, and more. Other offerings include the Credentialing and Privileging Resource Center, the Preceptor Toolkit, and forums such as the ASHP section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists Connect Community, where you can exchange ideas and post questions with your peers. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of Therapeutic Thursdays, and join us here every Thursday where we will be talking with ASHP member content matter experts on a variety of clinical topics. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.